simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in Grain Sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. listening to the Baked in Science Podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science Podcast. This is the first episode of our series. Today, we'll be talking about trends for 2018 and food maps. My name is Lynn Carson, founder, CEO of Bakerpedia. At Bakerpedia, we believe in sharing knowledge View our shared knowledge base at bakerpedia.com. Before we start, I'd like to thank Bakery Concepts International for sponsoring this podcast. Bakery Concepts is the maker of RapidoJet, a disruptive new technology that has changed the way bakers mix the dough and bread. Today, our guest is Doug Peckinpah, Group Editorial Director for the Food, Beverage, and Packaging Group at BNP Media. Hi, Doug. How are you doing? And could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today, Lynn. Yeah. Um, well, I've been working in the food industry in one form or another, um, publishing and writing uh, for probably about 20 years. Wow. Uh, covered many different markets along the way. I started in agriculture, um, and that kind of led me down a pathway toward ingredients and mm-hmm. food service, retail, grocery, mm-hmm. uh, several other markets. You know, it's all been food-related in one form or another. Uh, my career path has really followed that popular medium of uh, farm-to-fork, uh, and I really love working in food. Great. So how did you find yourself in the baking industry? Well, I've covered bakery in one form or another uh, throughout that time. Um and currently, uh, Snack Food and Wholesale Bakery is mm-hmm. my primary publication. Uh, that's the one I focus most of my attention on. I provide some oversight for some other publications in our group. Um, but Snack and Baking is my home currently. It has been for the last few years. Um, and as I said, I'm no stranger to it. I've covered it uh, in terms of menu development mm-hmm. and uh, on the ingredient side and on the agricultural side. So working in uh, bakery today uh, really just brings together a lot of different pieces of my career puzzle uh, that I've had uh, in front of me over the last you know, couple of decades. Right. So I really love bakery. It's, uh, it's an exciting place to be. Well, um, yeah. Widely. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that it's so competitive uh, and really so, you know, much in the forefront of American food consciousness makes mm-hmm. it a great, uh, great place to, to work in a really uh, exciting time, uh, you know, in my uh, day-to-day work. So, yes, since you get to see such a, you know, broad spectrum of products come through your publication, you know, every year, um, I'm sure you see a lot of uh, things trending. So my question for you is, you know, let's talk about what you think is the top five trends for 2018 and, you know, what's on your list? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is something that I get asked a lot. And um, it, it's really something that develops kind of uh, over time. Uh, you see some things come and go. And um, other things kind of linger and mm-hmm. develop, and next thing you know, they're bona fide aspects of the food industry, and everybody's talking about them. Correct. And bakery 
there are a few that definitely jump out at me. Um, you know, number one, I think would be organic. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, it's something that, that I, everybody talks about clean label these days. And, you know, it's still very much a niche of the industry, but it's a growing area. So everybody likes to pay attention to it. Correct. And I, I really like to call organic kind of the original clean label. It, it is the original clean label. Why do you think organic is such a strong trend? Well, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, as it became standardized uh, by USDA and they started creating all the National Organic Program rules and things like that, a lot of it died in the wool folks who had been in the organic industry for a long time were skeptical and were wondering how it was going to change. But all that time, as people kept talking about it, and as it got more and more common and more products were ramped up and there was more available that was organic, people really started resonating with it. And this was coming at a time when, you know, the food industry sometimes gets a bad rap for, mm-hmm. you know, usually the wrong reasons. But, you know, I'm, I'm biased, of course, with my perspective on it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when people are talking about things and they have a kind of a negative perception about something, we have to react in one form or another. And organic was really a, a great logical way to uh, bring more transparency to um, the, the, the dietary discussion. Um, you know, I mentioned ag- my agricultural past and farm to fork, and um, you know that really comes into play when people talk about organic. Correct. Uh, they have a, a visual perception of a farm and farmers and you you can't see organic without thinking about agriculture and it really kind of helps put a face you know and a name to the the products that people are purchasing um you know it it makes it more familiar to them and um you know we've seen the trend continue over the past uh decade plus every year organic being on the the organic aisles keep creeping on to the non-organic aisles (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, and just in the last year, uh, organic saw a really nice jump. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some products like bread that really are a great fit for organic. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great story to tell, um, you know, with organic bread products. And they, they've increased by, you know, a significant amount. Um, bread itself is up like 20%. Wow. Um, compared, com- compared to... Um, uh, you know, about two years ago, and you know, in that time, it, it's grown to be a you know a, a more significant market. It's probably close to about four hundred million now, and there are a couple of brands that have really kind of brought it to the forefront. Um, you know, now that Dave's Killer Bread is part of the Flowers Foods family, mm-hmm. um, they're bringing it to a national audience, so more people have access to organic bread, and bread is a category that really you know, can use a little bit of help. Um, and That's everybody right. Knows, while it's the biggest sector of bakery, um, it's been pretty flat. And, you know, it's gotten a bad rap here and there. And organic is one of these ways that people can bring uh, new life to the bread category, I think. And um, so organic is one trend. What is the next trend you see as really pertinent um, with us heading into 2018? Well, you know, I think another um, key trend that we're seeing is the idea of trying to bring more freshness to bakery. And, you know, it's it's something that is easier done in certain parts of the store than others. Um, mm-hmm. You 
know, bringing freshness to the freezer case while not impossible uh, <laughs> through creative branding. Um, it, 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 you know, it's easier to do in something like the in-store bakery. So I was just going to ask you that. How do you bring fresh into bakery? I mean, how do we help bakers understand this fresh trend? Well, it, it's all in kind of, it, it, it's the perception, you know, it's the overall feeling of the product. It's the packaging that uh, people use. It's, uh, frankly, it's it's sometimes the shelf life. Um, okay. I think maybe there's, while longer shelf lives are definitely important and have their place in bakery, some of the shorter shelf life products that you find in the in-store bakery, which is on the perimeter of the store, mm-hmm. uh, which has had great traffic over the, uh, the last several years, continues to see good traffic. Um, you know, there, the way that you can merchandise the products, uh, it, it's really can be much more creative. Um, the store, retail grocery stores can bring in a lot of traffic into those parts of the store by building them out like almost like little food courts. You know, you've got all kinds of hot food and the, the deli is really blown out. And, you know, that's where all of the fresh stuff is. You know, you've got your produce there. And, and then the way you merchandise a bread product in that part of the store can really come across as being, you know, kind of there today, baked that day in the store fresh. And uh, people like that. They It resonates with them. They, they feel like they're getting a wholesome food. That's great. Um, other than fresh, what other things do you see that's com- becoming a really strong trend for this year? Well, one of those kind of goes hand in hand with uh, the freshness, um, and that, that's uh, artisan. You know, it, it's part of that. Is you know, artisan has this freshness connected to it that um, you know often you'll see merchandised in the in-store bakery, mm-hmm. and it kind of reminds people of what they think bread used to be like. You know, even though most of us grew up on Wonder, we, we've got this idea that, you know, that's what bread should be like. You know, it's, it's very European, and it, it's kind of like the farmer's market of bread. And, um, yeah, it seemed to... Right. It seemed odd to me that old is new again. What is it about the artisan trend that makes it so attractive? Well, you know, it, it's it's like I was saying, it, it, it's this, this idea, this story that the product itself is telling. It, 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 it's talking about freshness. It's talking about uh, wholesomeness. It's, um, you know, it really defines uh, kind of a connection with old world Europe that's uh, never really existed for a lot of the core consumer demographics that are attracted to artisan. Mm-hmm. But they like the way it looks. They like the way it feels. And it seems homemade. And um, in, in, in some ways, it does capitalize on some, you know, tried and true old world mm-hmm. uh, baking techniques, uh, like using natural sour starters, longer fermentation. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's something that I, I think can help reconnect people back to bread. Um, another, I think, prominent trend that, uh, again, is on the forefront of everybody's consciousness these days is better for you. Uh-huh. And, you know, better for you is, is something that a lot of people like to talk about, and they, they use words like health halo, mm-hmm. and, you know, better for you isn't always necessarily good for you. You know, it's all really in the translation. So um, can you give our bakers a better understanding on how they can use this trend to develop new products? 
Well, you know, it's, it's all in trying to have a strong relevance. It, it has to make sense mm-hmm. for the product. So, you know, nobody wants to uh, buy a snack cake that's made with kale and kombucha. You know, it's just, it, it, that doesn't make sense. You know, there's some areas where better for you might just be portion size. Oh, uh, I see. It could, be, it could be cleaning up the deck a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, getting simpler and easier to understand ingredients on the label and highlighting some of those facts. Um, and in other categories, you can really be truly nutritionally improved. Um, right. You know, there, there's some spots. Uh, bread is one, I think, that is a great vehicle for better for you, mm-hmm. um, including products like bagels and English muffins. Um, those products, people seem to be very accepting of adding more fiber, um, adding protein, right. uh, and so on. You know, they're, they're very often... Uh, positions in the morning day part. So, you know, breakfast foods. Oh, I see. Okay. The idea of better for you foods at breakfast. So muffins make sense. Frozen waffles, breakfast cookies. That's an interesting product that we've been seeing lately. That, interesting. You know, if you can grab it and go and eat it quickly and it's got some nutritional value, they're, they're more accepting of it. So better for you breakfast cookies, who makes those? Oh, I, I, I've been seeing several. Um, the one that we were just recently talking to is Monk Pack. Hmm. Um, you know, they, they do these wonderful, uh, better for you cookies that are, you know, made with uh, a simple ingredient deck, but also have you know, a good level of protein and fiber in each cookie, you know, and then we, we run a, a poll on Snack Food and Wholesale Bakery's website every year to try and determine uh, new uh, snacks that are bakery snacks that are suited toward uh, school children. And this is one that came out as the leader this that year. That is interesting. Um, you know, and, and again, it's just it's a portable little treat that mm-hmm. people can be accepting of uh, in a school lunch for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the idea of eating cookies for breakfast, who doesn't like that? <laughs> exactly. So uh, what is the last trend that you see that's going to skyrocket in 2018? Well, you know, the a lot of the other trends that I've been talking about have a price premium. When you're talking about organic, when you're talking about better for you, there's increased formulation, there's increased uh, R&D expenses, increased ingredient expenses. Uh, so the, the price goes up a little bit, and that mm-hmm. changes your demographic. Right. One thing we have to remember and keep in perspective is that value tier and, you know, really just regular everyday tier foods aren't going anywhere. You know, if you look at some of the, the retail sales data, uh, that come that comes out all the time. We have a strong working relationship with IRI, and mm-hmm. we take a look at these reports every month. And you know, a lot of the core areas of baked snacks and bakery, they're made up of traditional, tried and true, uh, everyday, often value priced products. They're affordable to a vast majority of Americans, and those products aren't going to go anywhere. The the quality might get a little bit boosted up to try and stay more competitive. Everybody likes to try and have some sort of an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you look at two of the biggest developments in retail grocery during 2017, they were Lidl coming to the U.S. from Europe mm-hmm. and establishing uh, U.S. headquarters and starting to expand their stores. Uh, they're a direct competitor with Aldi, mm-hmm. uh, both in Europe and they will be here as well. Uh, but they're, they're very much a discount tier uh, grocery store wow. and very strong in their own brands and uh, you know they are going to give Aldi a run for their money. Uh, Aldi 
again. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, they're at a very strong rate of growth right now. And, um, you know, they're, they're competing at uh, a very budget-friendly level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have quality products. You know, they, they've been able to, uh, you know, reduce their overheads by focusing on store brands, mm-hmm. partnering with bakeries to develop those products. And they don't have that overhead of the marketing they have to deal with. With this value trend, do you see more partnerships between bakeries and grocery stores that way, like Costco? Oh yeah, absolutely. Again, because of some, you know, some of the the in-store bakery stuff, that's very easily branded with uh, the the retail the retailers branding. Um, and as they start to work on those products, uh, you know, they can develop relationships. Uh, above and beyond there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of larger retailers will have their own uh, commissary bakeries where they're developing their own products and have dedicated teams for it. Yeah. Um, but most of the bakers that I talk to, uh, you know, with some exceptions, do some work in private label. And, okay. Uh, as a result, you know, they're able to diversify their yeah. revenue stream. That's true. And cover more areas of the market. Okay, great. Another big development that is related to budget is um, Whole Foods and uh, their acquisition by Amazon. That's interesting, yes. You know, it, there's a lot of implications for that. But one of them is their popular 365 everyday store brand. Right. So Amazon, in order to survive, everybody knows their, their, their margins are super slim. And by <laughs> bringing this store brand, the, the budget brand, that also has a bit of an allure as an upscale store brand mm-hmm. into their fold will uh, be interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm also, interested in that too. You know, now also, you know, Walmart isn't going anywhere. So there are a lot of shelves in Walmart that need to be filled with quality baked goods at a reasonable price, and that's going to continue. Exactly. We got to tell bakers, don't forget Walmart. <laughs> don't forget Walmart. That's where the value is. Great. Hey, this is a great, um, has been a great conversation for me, Doug. Um, thank you so much. RapidoJet is the first technology to effectively and instantly hydrate dry ingredients. I've seen this technology work. And the most impressive thing about it is that it hydrates gluten up to 400%. Can you believe that? Have you seen anything like that? To view this technology in action, visit bakeryconcepts.net. Today, we are going to be talking about FODMAPs. On the line with me is Carter Wands, a product development technologist at Manildra Group over in Sydney, Australia. Welcome, Carter. Thank you. Thank you. Hey. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. You know, can you tell me what FODMAPs are? FODMAPs, I'll give you the long answer. It's an acronym that stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polios. What these are, they're poorly absorbed short-change carbohydrates mm-hmm. in the small intestine that contribute to the symptoms that are related with IBS and other gastrointestinal um, diseases. IBS stands for irritable... Okay. All right, just to get it right. <laughs> so why are FODMAPs important? FODMAPs are important because uh, around uh, 15% of the population in Australia suffers from IBS. Wow. And it's around 10 to 15% in the U.S. And in the U.S., I know that 
out of those 10 to 15 percent, only five to seven percent of the people with I, five to seven percent of the people in the U.S. have actually been diagnosed with IBS. Okay. So um, I just think it's important to get the word out there and just spread it because this can help out a lot of people. So that just gave me an idea of how big the market is uh, for potential bakers. Why do you think this is an important issue for bakers? And do you think it's going to open up a specific market for them? Uh, well, um, good question. I think it's important to bakers because it actually um, takes away um, a lot of people because when you eat just a regular loaf of bread, um, someone suffering with IBS, they'll get the bloating, the gas, and all those symptoms that are associated with it. Mm -hmm. And um, celiac disease, as we know, is around 1% of people. Correct. But, um, so, but these people will have a loaf of bread, and they'll get these symptoms, and they'll say, oh, it's, it's gluten. gluten. Right. But the product that we have created, it, it has plenty of gluten in it. And um, so I think it's a big market as we already have uh, a premix that is in Baker's Delight here in Australia for a loaf of bread and mm -hmm. um, on their Facebook page it's awesome seeing people just post like I finally can enjoy a loaf of bread again. But you have people actually giving you testimonials that uh, they when they consume regular bread it gives them problems but when they consume a FODMAP free bread, they don't get the same, um, uh, what do you call, digestive problems? Yeah, there's um, there's actually testimonials. It says there's been studies. It started here in Australia since uh -huh. 2003, and all the studies are verified from multiple places. And even in the U.S., we have University of Michigan, University of Virginia, Stanford. And, yeah, people are actually saying that they can enjoy this and okay. they don't get the symptoms. And uh, just a quick note, it's not uh, non-FODMAPs. This is well in FODMAPs. There are still FODMAPs present, but at a certain uh, level... Way low, way low. Right. Symptoms. Correct. So I'll just take it a step further and ask you if you have done, uh, Manildra has done any clinical studies on the effect of no low FODMAP flour? Uh, we have not done any clinical studies, but we're paired with a company called FODMAP Friendly who has done multiple studies. Uh -huh. Their logo will be on this flower. Okay. And their logo is recognized by 32 countries and all their health boards, and it's just recognized as saying this is a suitable product for IBS, but we also have got it tested by them to just, uh, and we passed all tests because you have to test the total fructans the galactose oligosaccharides, mm -hmm. fructose, glucose, lactose, mannitol, and sorbitol. And all those have to be under a certain limit for it uh, considered a, a low FODMAP product and suitable for for the relief of IBS sy symptoms because this is national, low FODMAPs is worldwide recognized as the main relief of someone suffering from IBS symptoms. That's really impressive. Um, can you go into detail on how you obtain your low FODMAP flour? How we are obtaining our low FODMAP flour? Well, we just have the normal flour, and then after that, it undergoes an all-natural wet extraction, uh, and this gets rid of these FODMAP contri contributing 
components that will give to those symptoms, uh-huh. and they are removed. And then after this, the flower is reconstituted. No chemicals are used. This is okay. free, and so it's like wholemeal flour when it's reconstituted. So basically, if I were to do this at home, if I had the time, all the time in the world, I will like wash out. I'll put water. I mean, I will put flour into water, stir it out. Um, use some form of um, extraction for the oligosaccharides, and then dry the slurry, and then mix it back up. That's how you. That's how you obtain it, right? <laughs> that's that's a pretty. Uh, That's a pretty lengthened process. I don't think I'm going to do that at home. Um, just want to give a shout out to David Krishak, my professor. Um, oh yes, David. One of the first baking, baking uh, classes, just uh, where you put uh, a dough ball in water uh-huh. and you wash, and you just wash out the starch, and you're left with the gluten. Correct. Water containing the starch, and it's just like that. Ah, I see. Constituted and. Then we come with something that's low fat flour, and um, for anyone else trying to think of this idea, we have patents all over the world. Awesome! I mean, that's that's easy enough, but that's such a genius idea. It's so awesome for you guys to come up with such a you know uh, uh, genius idea that uh, provides the benefits you know that a lot of people are seeking. Um, what do you see as the future of Non-footmap flour and its applications. I mean, how how can we use it? Uh, well, I, the flour that I have um, is going to launch retail in late January or mid uh, the start of February this upcoming year. And I just see I've made multiple products with it using cups, doing at-home measurements, just so it's easy for someone at home and. Uh, You may have to adjust the liquids and everything, but you don't have to buy any special products. If you want to make a cake, you'll have to buy eggs, water, right. mostly oil, and mm-hmm. baking soda. That's it. This works like a regular flour. So I think the potential for it is huge. Mm-hmm. And also, it just back to the gluten-free. I'm not trying to bash it, but it also gets people who have stayed away from gluten and that. Enjoy bread that thinks they have celiac disease that they love it. Whereas, like um, Sheila Crow, um, she once said that she's the head of the celiac awareness board. She once said, like, when someone comes to me and says they have celiac disease or suffer from those symptoms, but they're staying on a strict diet, I I recommend to them to get tested for diagnosed for IBS straight away. Okay, because that's the most common one, and. One more thing: the Canadian government did a survey, and they asked, "Why do you eat gluten-free?" And the number one answer: around forty percent of people said digestive health. And after that, nutritional value. After that, weight loss. After that, healthier skin. After that, <laughs> mental function. And then at the end, around five percent said celiac disease. Wow. And more people said asthma and allergies. Wow. 
Yes, I do see a huge application in this particular flower um, and its advantages to um, a lot of the feedback that I uh, that I got during my 90-day bread journey. Um, a lot of people said that they can't eat bread because of digestive issues. Hopefully, this would give uh, industrial bakers um, another avenue to develop new products. Um, so my question to you and your company is, when is this product going to be available for American bakers? Uh, then the product will be available for American bakers when they give us a call. And uh, then I'll push you in touch with the right people. Awesome. Or contact Neil Bowsky in the U.S. So, okay, you know, Neil. It's already um, full-fledged here in Australia. So, yeah, it's just uh, getting it in America. Awesome. Carter, we'll make sure that your email is on this podcast. And if any of our bakers out there listening, you want to try non-FODMAP flour, contact Carter and ask him how to use it, right? You have all the answers, right, Carter? Awesome. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Carter. Lastly, let's thank Bakery Concept International for sponsoring this podcast. RapidoJet has shown to reduce mixing times by 50% and therefore mixing temperatures. You don't need to tell me what happens when you reduce dough temperatures. I've seen this technology. I've seen it work. And you know what? You can just see it for yourself. Contact Ken today at Ken, K-E-N, at bakeryconcepts.net. Till the next episode, folks. 